0: I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team
1: better, except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with $25,000 When to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
2: On today's One Sickly Podcast, I am your host, Tate Frazier. And uh, first and foremost, I want to apologize to all the friends of the program that have been keeping up with the rigorous schedule of the NCAA Tournament on One Shining Podcast. My goal was to to be there and react right when things happen so that we can dump our thoughts and react and talk about things that are happening but unfortunately yesterday I ended up with a 105 degree fever um, and a sore throat so that's not the best for recording um, again it probably doesn't sound like I am uh, <laughs> a clean bill of health right now but look it's the elite eight we got to react to what's happening in college basketball we got three teams that have never made a final four on their way we got UConn back in the final four I got Kyle Man, who is healthy on the microphone to break it all down with me this This is going to be a very fun show. This is One Shining Podcast. Appreciate everyone's patience, and let's get into it. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right. Welcome in. This is One Shining Podcast, and if you can't tell by my voice, yes, I am very, very sick, and uh, I've been under the weather, and uh, luckily for me, I have a great producer, and I have a great co-host here, and Kyle Mann, they both uh, they saw me last night, and they said, not tonight, not tonight, and uh, I went home, had a 105-degree fever. Struggled with that, Uh, but I woke up today, the voice is a little bit better, and uh, probably doesn't sound so great to everyone at home, but we had great basketball games, there's no time to be sick, and uh, Kyle Mann sitting across from me, we just saw a great game, Texas-Miami, let's start there. Um, We'll get into all the details of this, but what an amazing game. I felt like Texas dominated the game, but we come away with Jim Laranegas. And uh, Jim Laranegas' second Final Four as a head coach. He went to a couple Final Fours under Terry Holland when he was at Virginia, but um, also the first Final Four in Miami history. So let's start there, Kyle, man. And thanks so much for putting up with my voice and my sickness and
0: all the other things going on in my life. Uh, 105 is your brain like melting at that point? Is this one of those like it, your brain kind of becomes like like an egg in a skillet where you uh, you had a look in your eyes? You said it was more of a vi- like a visual thing. Kyle and I both saw you. You had a sort of a I you know this virus has punched me. I'm wobbling a little bit. Right. I'm leaning on the ropes. You had it, that with the It was a rocky spoke, fight. We both it was were, a
2: rocky fight, and I was yeah. going up against Dolph Lundgren, and he was knocking me out. And uh, funny enough, my girlfriend, she just like pulled the sheets up yesterday, and she's like, You're on fire. And then got the thermometer, <laughs> took my temperature. Usually that, that means
0: something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: right. Right. That'd be, <laughs> that would be much better. But yeah, that time it was 102, and then as the day wore on, it got to 105. But if, eventually last night the fever broke, and uh, we're all good. We got good basketball to talk about. So enough about my health. Um, this sure, game started sure. out pretty yeah. pretty uh, wild. A nine to two run for Miami. It looked great for Miami. I love the versatility of Jordan Miller. And then all of a sudden, the Texas bench, right, they had 21 points in the first half. They seemed like they just kind of took over this game. They were dominating. And uh, all of a sudden, things started to change as we get in the second half. But what was your big takeaway just from the Texas side of things? Because I've seen a lot of people talking about Texas got screwed by the officials, this, this, and that. But in general, I, I didn't think Texas really threw this game away. I just thought Miami kept scratching and clawing and then found a way to win in the end.
0: No, I mean, I think it kind of went both ways. Like you and I talked about early in the game, you know, I thought Texas was getting a pretty good whistle when they were, when they were sort of te- establishing the, the, uh, temperature there, there'll be a, uh, there's a buzzword for us today. Uh, they, when they there were kind go. of setting the temperature of how physical this game was going to be early on, I, I had the thought, I was just like, I just don't, um, I, I don't, I don't see this happen for Miami today. Like it, it just looked like the way it was being officiated, um, that it was going to be, in Texas favor. And early on in the game, you know, it was kind of some back and forth. We saw a little bit of Jordan, like it was an interesting sort of, um, pulling the DHO ISO situation where the bigs were just kept t- taking each other off the dribble, whether it was Bishop for Texas or, right. uh, for, or Jordan Miller for, for Miami. The game really started that way where you got the sense that he really liked his matchup. Um, Miami. Yeah. I mean, it, it just felt like throughout this game, I think I texted you. I mean, what time What's the timestamp on that? It was like 12 minutes to go. I, I texted you. It was just like, this isn't happening. It was just like, <laughs> you know, Texas, Texas and Miami defensively just profile as very different teams. You know, I like to look at how teams defend in the middle to the late part of the shot clock. And Miami is very middling, middle, middle of the road in that way. The, they're you know, like 42nd percentile ish. Um, but they're awesome in the late clock offensively because they have those scores you know the, the fact that they have Isaiah Wong, the fact that they have Nigel Pack and, and then Jordan Miller. Um, but Texas has been amazing throughout the year and especially in the last few games um, defending in the middle of the clock because and their cohesiveness throughout this game I, I thought they just kind of thoroughly they I thought they thoroughly outplayed Miami throughout this game but Miami just kind of was spinning plates with their individual scores. To me, I thought like a turning point in the game was that car injury. Did you sense that? It kind of sensed like our on-court leader, our our defensive sort of anchor, the head of the snake. He, I mean, it looked bad when he mm. went down and he was kind of grabbing the front of his knee. And he he had that, you know, you want to talk about a, I'm on the ropes, look in your eyes. Carr had him. It looked bad. I thought he was really hurt. Yeah, and he went over to the bike at that point. They cut to his family and the crowd. Shout
2: out to his brother that had the Vince Carter Toronto Raptors uh, throwback shirt on. I love that. Um, But, yeah, when that happened, like you said, Kari done such a great job on Wong defensively at that point. And, you know, he was, you know, kind of initiating the offense. He was the X factor, the threat for Texas. Uh, Serge Bari Rice, our guy, was unbelievable um, in this game, too. But the two of them, they ended up putting Rice on Wong later in the game because of Carr's injury. I felt like that was a big thing. I just want to say, as a as a kind of big you know big picture note on this game, this was high level basketball, and and a perfect oh, yeah. example of that is look, Texas scored eight of their last nine possessions to close out the first half, and that included a Marcus Carr fouled three at the end, and Miami shot sixty four percent, and they were down eight at the half, right? I mean that that just goes to show you how good of a game this was, and when Carr went down. There were there just felt to be like a little bit of a panic. And obviously, Norchad O'Meara was in foul trouble. And when Larry Nega pulled him and put him on the bench when he picked up his fourth foul, it, you know, weirdly, I thought in my mind, uh, unfortunately, that's game. You know, that's what we do on this show. I thought that that was going to be <laughs> it. But a, as it started to play out, I realized that Jordan Miller playing basically as like a de facto five, but he's so versatile yeah. defensively. That to me was the real game changer. And you know, if you didn't know Jordan Miller's name before today, you have to know it now. I mean, the guy shot a hundred percent from the field, a hundred percent from the free throw line, thirteen to thirteen from the free throw line, and has twenty-seven points. And if you remember last year in the Elite Eight when they lost to Kansas, Jordan Miller after the game was devastated. He was absolutely just just thrown for a loop. He just felt like he was dejected, all the all the adjectives you can think of. And I think the the larger level, you know, intrigue with this Miami team is they go out in the portal, they bring in Nigel Pack. The, they thought that was the one key cog they really needed. And Pack kept them in the game until, you know, we got into the later stages like the last 10 minutes of the second half. He was the one that really kept everything within reach, right? That's that's all Miami was trying to do. Like you said they're spinning plates. They're trying to hold on for dear life, and Nigel Pack gave them that. And then as we got into the stretch run of the game, Jordan Miller, Isaiah Wong hit some really tough shots, and then Miami Norchad O'Meara was amazing down the stretch. Um, and and kind of the rest is history. But I still can't believe they were in the game. You know, like like when the I run started either. to happen, I, can't I cannot either. believe they were in the game.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't either. I, I was I I think around that time of the game, I when they cut it to to six, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. And and it, you definitely, I'll say this: one of the things on the season the thing that that has been a hallmark of this team is the fact that they can get to the line they're not like outstanding at it but they they really really delivered they're a great foul shooting team on the season 77.6 and today you know they average 18.1 free throw attempts per game and today they got to the line when they really really needed to get there they got 32 free throw attempts and they hit 28 of them so they surpassed their their number and their average and that was the thing that you know you talked about that physical style that was that was established early it started to kind of tilt Miami's direction in that sense and that you know I really think that uh, their their creators packed to his credit didn't force it I didn't feel like Texas was doing an awesome job like the opposite sides of the ball here really tell a big story in that like Miami when you really start to stretch their help defense and their rotations you saw them just they get they don't their effort isn't always there in transition. It's right. like they just kind of they like to trade buckets. They guard. It's not like they don't guard at all. But Texas, um, I really felt like did a great job in the first half of pushing Wong to his left. And I noticed when Carr went out, Wong, you notice st- he started to do that. I was thinking, too, like, like 4 kind of Ben Gordon is another guy who was like this, where he he just has that really powerful right hand and deceleration. You know, you mm. watch, like, like the mass, like, Luca's a master of deceleration. Kyrie's, like, it's a really one-on-one score. It's it's a trait that a lot of those guys have. But Wong got into a rhythm, and you could just kind of feel Miami's whole offense come to life when that happened. They, like, started to believe. Um, but, yeah, it, it just seemed like, Miami, once they started to get their momentum and they got some key deflections, I thought they kind of started trapping the ball a little bit at half court and and that got them rolling. And um, I don't know, it just seemed like once that happened, Texas, um, Texas just didn't have as many easy answers as Miami did.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was 72-68 with 6.58 to play. Texas takes a timeout, and at that point in time, you started to feel, you know, if you believe in momentum, some people think momentum is made up. I personally believe in it. I felt like there started to be a sort of change in the vibe of the building, felt like anything was possible. And then from that point, we get Wong. Wong is, like you said, he started to get into a rhythm a little bit. And then he gets downhill. They're expecting him to take that little mid-range jumper. And instead, he throws a lob to Omir, who gets the dunk and one. They take the lead 73-72. And then all of a sudden we got a game, right? And down the stretch, Miami continued to execute. They continued to to run sets for their main guys, whether it be Miller, Isolation. I thought Miller in isolation was amazing for Miami. I thought he was a, a big difference for them. And they got a great call on a block that you know some people said could have been in charge there late on uh, on Allen, but I thought it was a block and he got there. But in general, Miami executed down the stretch as a team. And I felt like Texas, when it got tight down the stretch, they started to play hero ball a little bit. You know, They, they everybody, Marcus mm-hmm. Carr, um, you know, the steal late in this game on Carr that Omir had, he had Serge Bari Rice, our guy an OSP, or you know, to this day, he had him wide open for a three. And, you know, Serge Ibaka Rice, every time he shoots a three, you think it's going to go in. So, the fact that Carr oh, didn't yeah. make that pass, I felt like the worst tendencies of Texas, their just their individual talent started to show itself at the end as far as everyone wanted to be the one that was going to win the game for them and Miami at that point was like whatever it takes to win the game and we got to talk about the, the most controversial call um, because you and I were texting about Brock Cunningham, he, he's such a glue guy. He, he's such an X factor, whatever you want to call him for Texas. But this box out on Omir, which would have been Omir's fifth foul if, if it was called on him, he jumps up in the air. Um, which you know, some people were saying it was over the back. But Brock Cunningham, in my opinion, it was a pretty dangerous play where he continues to 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 bolt back to take away his landing area. Omir comes down. Originally, they said it was Omir's fifth foul, and then they recant and change the call. Say say. It's own Cunningham. He gets the free throws, and then the next possession, Texas comes down. Omir gets the steal, and the rest is history. And Omir doesn't get that steal. Right, come over to help if he's out of the game and he fouls out. So I understand the Texas yeah. vantage point. For, you know, when you when you look at it that way. But at the same time, Cunningham, that was a dangerous play in my opinion. But it was kind of like that was the the final nail in the coffin for this game. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Brock Cunningham in general, and then just that play specifically.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been, you know, today and last night a little bit, we've had some, some, you you don't, you don't you know games don't come down to a single play that's you know it's it, it can seem that way obviously in the drama the way games unfold i thought it was pretty funny how uh, uh what's what's the uh is it Stratori the 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 uh, the referee the tv ref what's his name jim oh is that his name Steritore. Steritore. Yeah. 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 yeah it was it was just funny to hear him say you know we could sit back and dissect plays all day it's like yeah that's what you're paid to do so right. Gene, uh, isn't do you that your do? job right
2: <laughs> you come into this every single yeah. day and you do this yeah
0: I always think it's funny him and Steve Javi. I'm like, yeah, I mean, having like a the fraternity of referees is just so strong. I'm like, yeah, we could we could also have like the shark do like a commentary on Jaws, and I'm sure we would get objective commentary Mm -hmm. there. But yeah, I mean, uh, Cunningham throughout this game, I mean, his rebounding was a big part of the game. He was sort of a he was a really important glue guy for them. Only seven points, but he had eight rebounds. You know, three uh, five of them were offensive, uh, and they were backbreakers. But I thought like the speed of Miami's front court. We saw a lot of that against Houston. I thought tonight that it, it kind of started to play a factor later in the game, um, and um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Miami just kind of they they manufacture offense differently than Texas does in this game. Uh, Miami, I had it in front of me just a second ago. Uh, let's see. Yeah, 19 overall isolations in this game. So they were they lean, and yeah, 1.105 points per possession on that, whereas Texas only did six. So they don't really manufacture offense schematically the same way that Texas does. Texas usually tries to work together and create their offense, but Miami does it a little bit differently. Um, I was going to comment. I think that we need to at least pay homage to Serge Bari Rice's pump fake, which I'm convinced. Oh, yeah. We could raise the dead. I'm pretty sure if he (laughs) like was walking through a a graveyard and pump faked, like, bodies would be reanimated that's how that's how powerful it is i i, just I take, bite on think it at like
2: i literally would be on my couch and he does it's a pass fake and a shot fake he has both but every time he does it you're like you got me again and of course defenders jump every time because he, he sells it so well and i mean he had a big uh drive and finish late in the game on a shot fake you know and and of course because he's such a good shooter you have to bite on it you have to give it its credit but you're right that that's uh that's a staple. I feel like NBA scouts when they see Sergio Barry Rice, they gotta respect
0: that. Yeah, I think he did a lot for for his argument to play in the league, and it, it kind of this is a weird comp, but like from a big to a small, like that, like it reminds me of Jokic's pump fake, which is like weirdly mm. exaggerated, and you're always just like, why do people always fall for it? There's just something, there's something about it that you always fall for, but. It's it's the commitment Kyle. It's the commitment every single time. If you I commit it
2: to it, then then they believe that that's all it is That's all it takes. Um, So shout out to Serge Barry right? There was one other thing I wanted to point out in this game that I thought was fascinating Nigel Pack uh, He hit the Larry Bird shot over uh, the backboard oh and it God. was waved off it, That's a college rule and I feel like we haven't seen that in a while so I just wanted to give him a tip of the cap because one, we should get rid of that rule, and two, um, that that should have counted in my book. So, for all the people yeah. that are upset about Miami winning, they had some things not go their way as well.
0: Refs should be allowed. They should get one card every game. Each ref, they should have a card where they're like, "It's the that was awesome card." You know, that mm. wasn't legal, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the flag. We'll we'll make it a flag. I think some refs <laughs> should have jumped in there and been like, "I'm throwing my flag. That was awesome," because that should have counted. It was it was just so. He made it look like he really meant to do it. Yeah, he made it look easy that it was a crazy horse shot. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, there you have it. Jim Laranega and the Miami Hurricanes make the Final Four. And I got a list of uh, of coaches that have done this because uh, this is coaches that have taken two schools to the Final Four. You got Roy Williams. You got Lute Olson. You got Jack Gardner. You got Forty Anderson, Larry Brown, Eddie Sutton, John Calipari, Lou Henson, Bob Huggins, Frank McGuire, Lee Rose. And guess what they all have in common? They're blue bloods. So shout out to Jim Laranega. He's officially a blue blood coach. He's not at a blue blood program, but he's a blue blood coach. So congratulations to him. Was Rick it,
0: Pitino in there? Did you did you say Rick Pitino? Yeah, I think I, I did.
2: Him? Maybe, maybe oh, I, okay. uh, maybe I, yeah, Rick Pitino is in there. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, uh, yeah. Never want um, to short
0: him credit ever. Well, on this I show. think uh,
2: right. I think in this list that I pulled up, um, officially he's not because of the 2013 asterisks. You know what I mean? You know how this goes. So yes, Rick Pitino is obviously sure, in there. Sure. We all know that. Um, so there you go. Miami makes the final four. The first game of the day. Um, was fascinating as well. This was a defensive battle, to say the least. We got the Creighton Blue Jays taking on San Diego State. Um, We have three teams that have never made the Final Four in the Final Four. That just shows how insane this tournament has been so far. Both teams in this game, San Diego State and Creighton, looking for their first Final Fours after making their first (laughs) Elite Eights in program history. So a lot on the line, uh, You know, a lot of back and forth in this game. It came down to the end uh, to some drama uh, with the foul call, but I want to talk about um, just to start this, just Creighton and San Diego State. What did you see from Creighton uh, in the first half? I mean, it felt like the game was pl- was being played at their pace a little bit. Um, Kalkbrenner was getting a lot of lobs, a lot of offensive rebounds. Felt like the Blue Jays looked to be the team that was going to make it happen. Second half starts. San Diego State goes on a 6-0 run. Um, they get a nice lob to Mensa, which kind of was, in my mind, the answer to Kalkbrenner to say, hey, we can go vertical too. We'll match, we'll match fire with fire kind of thing. Um, and then from there, I mean, it just felt like things got really tight for Creighton, and they played San Diego State basketball. What did you see, Kyle Mann, in this game? And what was your big takeaway?
0: Um, I mean, it's another game that came down to an odd momentum point. You know, San Diego State did start to sort of take over and impose their wheel, will with their wheel. I almost did my really <laughs> heavy Kentucky draw there. Uh, <laughs> impose their wheel. Um, but no, uh, Creighton started out the game doing what they wanted to do. Nimhard and, uh, and Trey Alexander were getting into the lane at will, and uh, they really were killing. They, they did this throughout the game. You know, and it's smart. You know, you see some teams do this. The Suns have done this with Booker. Uh, OKC does this a little bit with uh, with Josh Giddy sometimes where they'll get these guys into these two, you know, th- two and three man actions where they were running this pin down for Baylor Shireman where he would come down out of the corner and then Kalkbrenner was rolling. Well, we know that Shireman could shoot that shot. We know that he can hit that floater. Um, you know Booker and Aiton specifically have made have just it's been an ATM play for them. Mm -hmm. I think that I need to I need to go back and watch the the tape. But like, I think they ran that specific play ten times, Tate. I'm not even kidding. And like, either I I think Caulkrenner scored on four of them, and then Shireman finally hit like a, a a floater that was working for them. But I think a key thing for Creighton. You have to you have to point this out is that like when Nimhard hit his wrist and he did not stop flexing that thing for the rest of the game, clearly bothered by it, tried to come back into the game. He is their stabilizer. He dictates pace. He's probably the only guard on their roster that can consistently dictate pace. We talk about that awesome starting lineup. He's the crux of it, man. And right. when he when he was rattled you know, he got the ball up the court, but I was telling you, he ate up like 10 or 11 seconds a clock every single time just and he was still on his heels with that that pressure from from San Diego State.
2: Yeah, and Tramiel was picking him up. As soon as he saw, I think it was about 10 minutes to play in the second half, he, he has a wrist injury or hand injury, whatever it is, and uh, Tremell was picking him up, and you, like like you said, you take 10 seconds off the clock, he gets over half court, and all of a sudden they're just pressing to get something to work, and uh, around that same time, I th- I thought one of the biggest underrated plays in the game, and after the game, of course, Greg McDermott brought it up, was Kalkbrenner gets a flagrant one foul, on Mensa where he kind of wraps his arm around throws him down he tells the ref the ref goes to the monitor reviews it as you review it you see that it is you know it looks pretty bad it looks like Carpenter did throw him down um but that was a big momentum shifter in my mind in the game Creighton was very Those upset were, about that was that was the
0: same sequence yeah that was the same sequence right like uh, right. With, with Nimhard and uh that that sequence shifted the game uh, sorry continue
2: no, I, w- I was just going to say, I mean, that, that is something where everyone wants to talk about the foul at the end of the game, obviously, of course, and we'll get to that, but I thought that flagrant one was, you know, the moment, and then Trammell came down, he hit a floater to give SCSU a 46-45 lead with about 645 to play, and... I mean, from there, it just felt like Creighton got a little bit tight. I, I've seen this with this team at times where the moment uh, they're so aware of the history that's ahead of them. This is why Baylor Shireman and all these guys are at Creighton, right? To to make some history for Creighton. That's the dream that Greg McDermott has kind of sold all these guys. So, I just felt like they they felt the pressure. And then for whatever reason, San Diego State, they just kept, you know, they were just locked in. And this was the type of game that they wanted to play. Um, the only moment where they kind of showed, um, you know, for lack of a better word, their ass a little bit was the inbounds play um, where, you know, they're oh, yeah. up 56-54 late in the game. They try to throw... I mean, you never throw it towards your own basket. And the inbounds pass literally could not have been more of a perfect pass to Baylor Shireman. In fact, if you watched it without seeing who threw it, you would think it was a Creighton pass. He ties it to 56-56. It did look like a Creighton pass. Right. It looks like it looked like a play yeah. that they would have ran. I mean, honestly. Um, yeah. So Shireman gets the steal, gets the finish. We're tied at 56 56. And then we get to the end of the game, which is, um, you know, very controversial. A lot of people have talked about this, but Darian Trammell, who has been amazing in this tournament, he was great in this game as well. Uh, he gets a handoff. There were some questions if if feet were shuffled before the handoff. The Aztecs were looking a little shook there at the end of the game, but whatever. Trammell gets the ball. He drives down. He kind of short arms a floater but upon review there's a whistle upon review there's a left hand nimhard's left hand is on his hip they call the foul we get two free throws shireman looks at the ref he's like come on you haven't called that all game and you call it now um all we asked for in college basketball is consistency i didn't really like the call because i thought the whole game was very physical and there was a lot of hands on hips on minia shots and, and many drives all night but also upon review, when you see the tape, he does have his his hand on his hip, so there is contact. So by definition, it is a foul. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And uh, you know, obviously, I hate it for Creighton, but also, I mean, it
0: is what it is. This is college basketball, and these things happen. Uh, first of all, just on the basketball level, I was a little confused by the way Nimhard played him the first time I saw it. I was like, okay, is he? I mean, he's pushing him left. Is he like, or is he trying to just you know keep him? In, in my opinion, in that situation, I don't think you worry about like directional preference. I think you just you stay in front of him and like right. <laughs> like just guard your yard and like just keep him out of the lane. Any any middle there is bad, whether he's going left or right. And you know, the moment that Tra- Trammell beat him, um, Nimhardt started like grabbing. He's before the foul even happened, Nimhardt started guarding with his hands. He was you could tell he was in trouble. he knew he was in trouble you know, Tremel goes up in the, in the air and he's shooting that ball. He had his hand up on his hip and, and Creighton that subsequently will dip. I'm sorry for that joke. We're going to keep moving, but <laughs> that, I mean, I, it's hard to know if he like affected, do you even know that song? T- Tate, I'm older than you. I put your hand up. on my- I, I'm I over. Got I'm it. I got it. I got it. I, I'm not saying okay, I, sorry. I, 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 it clicked like two beats after the fact. That's why I maybe laughed a little bit late, but I got it. Don't worry. I appreciate that that uh, that <laughs> pretending there. I know Kyle knows that's on. Anyway, uh, I'm sure that's on t- Touch Tunes at uh, at the Frolic Room. But for sure. So he, it's hard to know if he affected the shot. For me, I was just kind of like moving from there. I thought he, I thought he guarded him a little odd. I don't know that the shot would have like gone in. Um, but you know. I thought that they were going to have a chance to maybe move on and you know move to overtime. You know, so San Diego State. Yeah. You're talking about like the spirit versus the letter of the law type argument here, which is going to transition to my next favorite part about this, uh, which was the subsequent analysis that was going on on CBS on the panel. Um, I've never heard Clark Kellogg raise his voice the way he did when they did. You hear that section where K- Kellogg was talking about the play? And he legitimately raised his voice. I'm gonna pull the clip and put it on Twitter. Um, he was he was annoyed by it, and you just heard all the kind of different. Um, I don't know. You, you hear some people sometimes when like in in a pickup game, you know, you'll hear different philosophies about like, oh, I don't call anything; I call everything. There's there is this like thing outside of the letter of the law that basketball people talk about, where it's like, don't call this in this situation. Even in right. even in unorganized basketball, you have that. It was really cracking me up to hear. Uh, the, the panel discuss it, you know, at the, after the game.
2: Yeah, Charles Barkley and I were, uh, we had the exact same opinion, which is always, you know, sometimes I feel really good about that. And sometimes I start to question my own opinions. But, I mean, he kind of just said <laughs> that situationally, you don't call that there. And I don't even know if it's situationally you don't call it. I just think it's consistency, like I said before. I mean, all game long, San Diego State, it, they have their hands literally holding jerseys of Creighton and Creighton vice versa because that's how the game was being called. And I'm not saying that's why Nimhard had his hand on his hip. I think he was more freaking out about getting beat, and that's why he did that. It was more of a, oh, shit, kind of thing. Um, but to, to to bring it back to the letter, letter of the law, the letter of the law says it was a foul. It was a foul. San Diego State, Tremel goes to the free throw line. He makes the second one. They get the lead. Baylor Shireman then tries to throw a... Um, uh, uh, I mean, a Johnny football pass, for lack of a better word. I mean, he tries <laughs> to throw a full court pass to Kaluma. I'm not really sure what that was. Gets tipped out of bounds. The refs look at it. Uh, they say the clock started late. They go to the stopwatch. They say game over. I don't like when they go to the stopwatch. I really don't because there's a human element to the clock. Where when they start the clock, there's a human element to it um, that I like. I think that's good for college basketball. It keeps that human, um, you know, connection to the game. Um, but regardless of that, I mean, Creighton, ga- it was game over as soon as he went to the free throw line, right? That's what it felt like. felt like Creighton wasn't even running anything in that last play. I understand why McDermott was upset after the game. It was fun to see Dutcher. He's, he's like a... Um, Dutcher's a very funny character. Like I I, you know, being around him in Maui, he's like a goober, you know, that's probably the best word for him. He's just kind of like funny and but like in a dad kind of way, you know, where he makes these little comments and you're like, Are you being for real? And he's like so pure in it. And the funniest thing to me after the game, they're cutting down the nets, right? San Diego State is Brian Dutcher literally does a trust fall on his team, you know? And uh <laughs> it, and it's so funny because he told us in Maui. He's like, yeah, our whole team before the season started, we all did trust falls with each other to get each other's trust. And I was like, what just is the this corniest like,
0: youth group shit? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
2: like, what is going on? Like, what, what is this? The office, right? Like, what is happening? Um, but the the fact that like he did that, but it was so genuine and pure, right? That his teammates or you know his team and his coaches, and they all know it's coming from a good place. I just thought that was like a nice full circle moment for Brian Dutcher. I'm excited for Brian Dutcher and San Diego State and. If you're the Pac-12, you got to call San Diego State tonight. You got to be like, we need you guys in our conference because uh, we can't get. You know, we, we got UCLA and USC leaving, and we need someone else that can get to the Final Four. You guys just proved that you can, so let's make it happen. And uh, one other note on San Diego State, which I, I thought you would enjoy, this Kyle man, because they're Jordan brand, they can't wear Kawhi Leonard shoes because he's New Balance now. And uh, when they signed oh. the Jordan deal. Uh, Kawhi was obviously Jordan brand, but I think the deal runs up in 2025 and then there'll be new balance probably if Kawhi makes that happen. But it's funny that like a lot of these players probably would want to wear Kawhi's shoes because of that, you know, relationship. He goes down to San Diego a lot. Um, He's been in practices and all these types of things. So I thought it was funny. And then I saw Jason Tatum tweeting about how honored he was that uh, San Diego State was wearing his shoes. And I was like, well, a little caveat here. I think they would probably wear Kawhi's shoes, but they can't.
0: I, that's, it's sweet how, um, excited Jason Tatum is about having his own <laughs> shoe. It feels like really genuine. Anytime he talks about it, I'm just like, I, I, I think it's kind of charming, but, um, yeah, uh, also quickly, I, I like a lot of the new balance basketball stuff. I just want to throw that out there, but, uh, the, the flip side of this, you know, not that San Diego state really as a brand is ready to replace a USC and a UCLA. There's a lot of, there's a lot of years there and a lot of decades, but, the the flip side of this is this is just really, really one of the more heartbreaking lot. You know, it's it's like kudos and you give credit to, to San Diego State for sure. They've played good basketball. It's incredible that they're in the Final Four. I can, Honestly, I, I don't know who picked this Final Four. If anyone did, I don't think anyone did. But uh, for Creighton, this is tough, man, because they led, you know, the last lead that, that San Diego State had was at 16-15 in the first half. And they didn't lead again until the second half at the 644 mark uh, left in the game where they went up 46-45. Uh, Creighton, you do everything right. You, you play a great game. I thought Kalkbrenner w- did a great job playing and drop. He did a great job not committing fouls. I thought that his fatigue. I told you, I thought his fatigue was going to play a factor down the the stretch. You watch him t- trying to go for some of those buckets in the lane. I thought fatigue was a factor for him, for him there. Um, it was just tough. It, it, it was you, you just felt it. I don't know. You see a lot of teams lose in March over the over the years, but this one just felt like a real dagger for their for where they were they were headed. You know, um, I don't yeah, know. Feel, it, feel bad it was- for Creighton fans.
2: I do too and especially because the bracket kind of broke for Creighton a little bit and uh, the good news if you're a Creighton fan is all the guys you're starting five all have eligibility left right they can all come back and I think there's a chance that maybe that happens we'll see also the one knock on Creighton all year was that they didn't have depth and that kind of showed itself in this game you could see that they were gassed you could see guys pulling at their shorts and San Diego State was just making things happen and uh, you know shout out to shout out to San Diego State we, we feel for Creighton
1: see website for details this episode is brought to you by 20th century studios kingdom of the planet of the apes as a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike kingdom of the planet of the apes enter the kingdom in imax this friday and in theaters everywhere get tickets now
2: we're gonna quickly just run through the games on saturday you know the big story obviously uh is that the fau owls uh the, the most lovable player in the entire tournament, Marquise Noel, And the most interesting thing in this game to me was that FAU decided, weirdly, and I think UConn kind of did this the same way with uh, Gonzaga. They said, okay, you may have the best player on the court, but we're going to make him beat us. You know what I mean? Like he's going to have to do it himself, and especially scoring, right? They they were like, Marquise Noel, you're going to have to score to beat us, and you're going to have to do it by yourself. He was still incredible in this game. Um, But as soon as Brian Greenlee was forcing him left uh, later in the second half, that started to cause some problems for him. Um, they started to force things a little bit. And if you watch the post game, Jerome Tang went in the locker room with FAU and he said, you guys are the toughest team we've played all year. I think you guys could win the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I thought that really, that, that spoke volumes to me. And it also says, you know, as much as FAU is the Cinderella, they were an AP top 25 team. They've won 35 games. They have a lot of talent. Um, what? W- let's focus on FAU because Kansas State had a great year. Jerome Tang Coach of the year. We know all that. But what did you see from FAU in this game, Kyle, man, that you said, wow, I- I'm impressed with the Owls?
0: Uh, I think you hit on it. And in basketball in the last few years, we've had this kind of broader argument about heliocentrism versus like, you know, spreading it out like multifaceted offenses, basically just meaning, you know, uh, can an offense go the distance if it's relying on one player past a certain point? You know, it's the arguments against Luka and, you know, all all guys like this. Giannis ran up against this, Jokic is. Um, this, This FAU attack is a young which Mm -hmm. i think is important to note we've been talking about experience wins and that's been a through line of this tournament florida atlantic has five sophomores in their top eight uh and they just have multiple handlers that have interchangeability you know we talked a lot about like John john l davis who has has almost like a lance stevenson start stop kind of quality to his game i love watching him he just seems like he would be a real pain in the ass to guard um but they have a lot of guys who are like Really interchangeable, like closeout attackers, guys that can handle the ball. They have five guys in their in their rotation that are 34 percent or higher from three. Um, and I just think that over the course of this game, you know, Marcus Noel was unbelievably entertaining throughout this right. thing. But Florida Atlantic just kept coming, kept coming. Um, they out rebounded them in this game, forty four to twenty two. Um, so you just you got a lot of uh, aim small, miss small. You, you, you saw like Kansas State firing a lot of bullets, trying to stay in this game. And Florida Atlantic, just with their team attack, just kept coming, kept coming. And uh, I don't know, it felt like the ending that wasn't as fun. Like you wanted to see the Kimba, the cardiac Kimba thing keep going. But uh, it it just seemed like it ran up against a wall. There were there were some, and I, I had one note that I thought had a funny sort of like cyclical quality to it was at the beginning of the game, Noel threw the ball to Masood, who has hit like daggers throughout this tournament. And Masood looked really uncomfortable off the dribble. And mm-hmm. I wrote down in my notes, I was like, Masood, pretty vulnerable off the di- dribble. Last play of the game, it had like a Ted Lasso quality where you're just like, is Jamie going to shoot the game-winning shot because he's been the man all season? And he passes it to Masood, and Masood is way too far from the basket. He gets trapped, dribbles the ball once, turns it over, end of the run for Kansas State. So um, Florida Atlantic moves on.
2: And there's a lot of people that were giving Noel, you know, grief about passing that ball there. But he and Masood had been playing with each other since they were kids. Apparently at Rucker Park, they knew each other well. So he apparently had enough faith in him, thought he was the better shooter. So I understand his thought process and making that decision. I thought these stats were interesting about FAU. They were they were 11 and one in games decided by five points or less. That was second in the country this season behind Mizzou. Shout out to Mizzou. Um, and also they're 27 and one when they have a halftime lead. And when they went in with the lead at halftime, I saw that stat and I said, oh, well, that does not bode well uh, for Kansas State. Then after the game, Dusty May, um, I'm guessing he was talking about us because we did our Elite Eight power rankings. We had FAU as the eighth team we both did. He said, um, this is after you know they beat Kansas State. They're going to the Final Four. He said, I expect the prognosticators to pick us fifth in the Final Four. So um, I will say this, Dusty May, <laughs> I will not pick you fifth. Uh, that, is, that is a guarantee for me. I may pick you fourth but I won't pick you fifth, that's for sure. Um, but a great that's game for FAU. You. Um, great moment. Marquise Noel, you know, he's we, we call him the ultimate Kimba candidate, but like you said, he's more of a passer um, than Kimba ever was. You know, I mean, the assists that this guy were making were incredible, um, and he was doing it when guys were, were staying home and not coming to help, right? I mean, he's still making amazing passes on ridiculous cuts and things like that. I thought Tomlin had a great run. I feel like he's a prospect that will get some intrigue and some interest from the NBA at some point. Um But my big takeaway is that Kansas State's a very likable team. I really really think that they're a very, very likable group. I think Jerome Tang is one of the most likable coaches in America, and he showed that after the game. Like I said, going and telling FAU that they're one of the best teams in the country. All right, the final game that we're going to hit here uh, in the Elite Eight. This was yesterday. This was the second game of the day. Uh, maybe this game is the reason why I was uh, so sick and so thrown for a loop because, uh, you know, I just felt completely out of it. I was asleep for most of this game, but I didn't miss much because UConn, as they did in the non-conference, they absolutely dominated. I mean, absolutely dominated. I mean, the Zags started one for eight from the field. They were down nine to two to Connecticut, and it just felt like UConn never looked back in this game. Sonogo was great when they doubled. He, he made some amazing passes. Um, the passing of UConn in general um, is next level. Caravan is a great piece for them in that four spot because you can stretch the floor. He's like a great stretch four for them. I just think UConn is fascinating um, with, with the way that they share the basketball, with the depth that they have, with the size that they have. Klingon was great in this game, and I was worried about Drew Timmy going up against these bigs, and with foul mm-hmm. trouble and things like that, UConn absolutely dominated. And now, guess what, Kyle, man? We got Bill Murray in the Final
0: Four, which is what we all wanted. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> old, old Billy Boy in the, in the Final Four, finally. Uh, he, I don't think he ever, he didn't get one when he was cheering for L, like a, like a center, but mm. um, no, this, this game of uh, the passing, like you said, was incredible. It just, you got the sense that like, and, and you heard this a little bit from Creighton too, uh, from, from coach McDermott that, and uh, you know, Hurley said this too, that like. They had a moment where, you know, they started strong and then they had to come kind of regroup at some point during the year where they were like, we know we're a good team. Hurley said that he was like yelling and fighting with his guys a lot and that he just stopped doing that. Um, but the passing throughout this game was amazing. It just felt like, you know, UConn's cohesiveness and connectedness on offense on both sides of the ball. They had incredible rim pressure with Sunogo. I think Donovan Klingon has established himself as like a legitimate pro. Um, I, I'm, my certainty that he's going to be an NBA player has just skyrocketed over the course of this tournament. He's got great IQ too,
2: Kyle, man. One one thing I wanted to point out was there was one play where Timmy drives, he misses a layup, but he's on the ground. Like, you know, he's behind the play and Klingon just sprinted the floor and then ended up getting a dunk and an and one. And that was a perfect example of like, this guy is smart. This guy gets it. And he, he runs the court like Tyler Zeller. That's who he reminds me of. I mean, when you see seven footers that have that kind of ability to run the floor, I mean, Tubelas does this at Arizona as well, but th- that that strikes you, that stands out to you, and Klingon has that quality.
0: And he's, I think, mean, he's way bigger than Zeller too. He's right. he's gigantic. Um, and and uh, something we got we got to give credit to Andre Jackson in that game. Uh, he had just an absolutely phenomenal basketball game. He had one play. I tweeted this out. You can go find it on my Twitter at jcowman. Um He. There was a play, I forget, I forgive if it was Newton, but there was a pick and roll where he got trapped. Uh, maybe he didn't expect the trap to come. He was trapped on like the left side. He throws a roller pass to to Klingon, I believe. And Jackson is in the right corner along the baseline, and he sees he sees that the pass is going to be short. And Caravan is is just above him on the right side of the three point line. He sprints basically to intercept the pass. The ball bounces really early, probably bounces around like the top of the key. Gets the ball in one motion, whips it to the opposite side to Caravan for a wide open three. Uh, it was one of the more. It was like very. It was a very Draymondy kind of a play. Um, but they just looked. It was amazing because like Jordan Hawkins throughout this night, he had a great night. He looked yeah. effortless out there. I had somebody compare him to Isaiah Joe. I've said Bryn Forbes. He just has this floating kind of way about him. The crazy thing is, man, he doesn't have to force it. All Hawkins has to do is just be himself and pull gravity. You have to respect him because how fast he shoots it. I love an off off screen three, Tate. If there was a vape flavor called off-screen uh three, I would, <laughs> I would take a hit of that every night before bed. Um he uh UConn just looked dominant, man. I I don't uh do you see anybody beating them right now? I mean, they're playing better than anybody. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the team
2: that I was excited to see play them because of their bench and their depth was Texas. Like Texas had the bench, I thought, to match up with the matchups of UConn. I thought that that would be like a great chess match between those two coaches. So the fact that we're not getting that um, is fascinating and will be interesting. I'm worried about Omir, same thing as Timmy, getting in foul trouble with these bigs. And look UConn's the only team that's won a national championship in the final four and I think that they should be the favorite not because of that but I think that also adds a certain level of we're supposed to be here we belong here we expect to win here and Dan Hurley's been preaching that all season to this team I mean they had their little skid in conference play and they had like a a players only meeting we love players only meetings that things change when you have those and uh, since then they've just been uh, you know uh, the team that we saw in non-conference and they beat everybody by double digits that's what they did in the non-conference that's why they were number one in the country right so they just look like the team that we saw at the start of the year I think Tristan Newton I think the the ball handlers and the the responsibility of initiating the offense has been spread out a lot with this UConn team so you never know where you're you're getting your hits coming from and if they can play inside out they have the shooters for it I I really think that they're going to be tough to knock out and I wouldn't be shocked if UConn comes away with a national championship and every single stat you see is like First time UConn's done this since 2014. It's like, what happened that year? First time UConn's done this since 2011. What happened that year? First time UConn's done this since 2004. What happened that year? Um, and look, me personally, I'm partial because 1999 UConn, when they beat Duke, Duke was, in my opinion, they were destined to go, they were 37-1, and one, on their way to a title. So when Jim Calhoun did that, um, he also beat Gonzaga in the Elite Eight that year, funny enough, in, in the West region. So there's some connective tissue there, but... um yeah, I just think UConn has checked all the boxes. I really like. I've been saying the entire tournament. Dan Hurley does concern me a little bit um, as a coach, but he seems like he's gotten it together. He did have with about four minutes ago. They cut to him. He he did the what the f are we doing? And he did like the big pout, you know, <laughs> that he always does. Yeah. That was a little bit of a oh, that, there's Dan Hurley that I know. But for the most part, um, you know, they got it together. They got a great team, and uh, the painting that he did for Luke Murray that they showed. I thought that showed some humility on the part of Dan Hurley. And uh, that I he was willing to admit that. Yeah, yeah, right. The fact that he was willing to do that, it seems very out of character from what you expect. So to me, it's all signs are pointing to UConn. Um, but this tournament, nothing has made sense so far. So you can't really say that. But if you had to pick a team right now as the favorite in the final four, I think Connecticut checks all the boxes.
0: Yeah. A couple just like bullet points here that I think are important. You mentioned UConn in 99. UConn is on the verge. If they do pull this off, they will have one in 99 and in 04. And then they'll have the ones in 11 and 14. Obviously that would be five titles since 1999 with three different coaches, which is unprecedented. That's not happening. That hasn't happened in Kentucky, UCLA, North Carolina, any, any of these blue blooded schools. Um, They're kind of, I mean, like they're kind of doing the Duke thing in a way that we don't really give you know, they don't have the same kind of pedigree. I guess it's because they've had some of the dip. You know, they left their their conference and things like that. Uh, for, you know, this is the end of the Drew Timmy era. You know, Drew Timmy picking up that fourth foul on the stupid discard. I don't care if it was a foul or not. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who box out with their hands. It was just a stupid play. But for Gonzaga, uh, season low in points at 54. Their previous low was 63 against Baylor on December 2nd. Mm. And uh, this is a team also that that Texas crushed. Um I just think the end of the Timmy era is a significant thing, Tate. You know, uh, uh, the the bigs, the they weren't the bigs that we thought. You know, we we had all this attention on these these name bigs. Bigs have mattered, just not the ones that we thought.
2: Yeah, and I still think that there's a chance uh, that Drew Timmy comes back. I really do. He has one more year of eligibility. Everyone wants to write him off, but I think he could come back. So shout out to the bigs. Also, uh, one, one big shout out before we get out of here. I want to shout out Rick Pitino because Rick Petino was leading UConn at halftime. <laughs> I'm like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Look how UConn has absolutely blitzed. every. I mean, granted, they ended up winning by double digits, but their average their average margin of victory is 22 and a half points right now. And Rick Pitino led them at halftime with Iona. So shout out to Rick Pitino. That's my big it's picture kinda, shout out. It's
0: kind of like when Captain America grabbed Thanos' fist for a second and, and Thanos, you saw his eyes get serious, you know, and you, you were like, oh, Thanos is going to crush him. But, you know, Captain America, uh, you know, Rick Pitino is Captain America, Tate. It's mm-hmm. kind of the, the point we that love I'm him. making. He's yeah. America's coach. We love him. I just, you know, I I think that he needs all the credit. We'd never want to short him credit and and seize every opportunity to give him credit.
2: Right, and that's it. Um, All right, well, that's been the Elite Eight. All (laughs) the coaches say the Elite Eight is the hardest uh, round to win in the NCAA tournament because it's the midway point. It's the time that you can say, okay, we've done our duty here. We've made it far enough to get our respect. But you really got to keep fighting, and then it's a whole other tournament once you get to Houston. Um, So shout out to all the teams that made it got four, three teams for the first time in the final four. We got UConn back in the final four. That's good for basketball. I know that the haters out there will say, well, no one's going to watch that final four. Check the check the TV ratings. Dah, 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 dah. Who cares? It's going to be good basketball. These are really good basketball teams. I could talk myself into any of the four winning the championship, even though I think UConn, like I said, is the favorite. So that's fun. Um, Kyle, man, anything else before uh, we get out of here? Because Kyle, our producer Kyle, has to go do Ryan Masillo and Bill
0: Simmons. So we got to get out of here asap priorities kyle i mean seriously which (laughs) one's more important this show or bill simmons and ryan rusilla i'm just saying uh it pains me that justin barrier is happy right now he's one of my mortal enemies justin barrier so Mm. i'm just gonna it's a terrible day for me that my enemies are having a great day (laughs) but um i love college basketball i'm sure we can have a, a more of a conversation about the you know, De- De'Aaron Fox and the bickering that's going on within the basketball world about college
1: Bench terrible the shot.
0: <laughs> you know we can we can talk about that. Maybe my little voice there indicates how I feel about this already. Right. but uh, I'm excited about the final four because I always am and I cannot wait. And to talk yeah. about it with you, Tate, yeah, me too. We're going to do like a Final Four preview uh, in the middle of the week next week, so
2: get ready for that. Myself, Kyle, man, we'll break down the matchups. We'll look at these four teams more in detail. This is more the reaction of what we just saw, trying to digest it all. I appreciate everyone out there listening, putting up with my voice, putting up with my sickness. I'm sorry I couldn't do a show last night, but hopefully this, uh, you know, it, it was enough to kind of, you know, get you there, get you fired up. I, a lot of UConn fans were mad at me, Kyle. They thought I was dodging the show. Not dodging the show. Hopefully my voice shows i'm not dodging the show uh shout out to producer kyle shout out to my my amazing guest co-host kyle mann for for sticking with me and making it impossible this is one shining podcast we got a final four it's going to be in houston it's going to be fun can't wait to talk about it all with everyone all the friends of the program this is one shining podcast and we will see you early in the week